So uh, please open up with me to 1 Thessalonians. We are continuing our journey through that book as God has been blessing us as we do so. And He always does as we open up His Word. We are in chapter 4. The book of Thessalonians has been a joy to be studying. Uh, Hopefully it's been a joy as we've been going through it for you guys. Um, It has been Paul's letter to the church that is in God and in Christ Jesus, but located physically in Thessalonica, that old Greek city in in Macedonia. There was an ancient city, godless city, but when the gospel went in through Paul and Silas and Timothy, a church was born through the salvation of souls, and it was planted with newly formed elders who themselves were very young in the faith, and and, and a new family was born to the glory of God. So we're going to read today. Uh, We're going to... this is part two, of course, of as what I said is last week we, 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 we did this section and we really only hit half of the, the, mat, uh, the, 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 the matter there that Paul put out for us. We're going to finish with part two today, but we're going to finish off, uh, but we're going to reread the whole section in chapter four, verse one through to verse eight. And we've realized that at the end of verse three, uh, chapter three and starting into chapter four, I want you to see a bit of a turn that Paul took. In 1 through 3, he was remembering his ministry among them. He was commending them on their walk. He was reminding them of what he had done among them with Paul and Silas and what has since happened to them. But now in chapter 4 through to the end of 5, he shifts from not looking back and remembering, but looking forward, commanding and giving instructions. We saw last week that he gives these instructions to brothers and sisters. It's a family command. But those instructions that he gave were military-styled, authoritative commands. That even though we're in a family, this is a family with an authoritative dad. His name's God. He's on a throne, and he speaks to us as people, subjects in his kingdom, saved by grace subjects. But we have a walk that we ought to conform to in the Christian life. And so Paul starts out in this way. He says in verse 1, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, Whoever disregards this disregards, not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his holy, inerrant word to us today. So Paul starts out, he said, the will of God for you, right? If you've ever wondered, what is the will of God for my life? It's your sanctification. Whatever else, whatever other specifics there are in your life, career-wise, marriage-wise, anything else, the number one thing that God has as your, His will for your life is that you become more holy. We saw last week that to be more holy means to be more like Jesus in our walk. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. 
that he comes into us as soon as we are justified. He regenerates us so that we can have faith. We believe Christ. We are then justified by his righteousness. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are adopted into God's family. And from that moment on, we are being made more and more and more and more holy into Christ's likeness. And we saw the the warning from Hebrews 12 that every Christian will be made more holy for it is without that sanctification that no one will see the Lord. Don't ever make a a caveat for yourself saying, I'm one of those Christians that doesn't get sanctified. I'm one of those that doesn't see a greater growth in holiness. That person doesn't exist. They're a myth. All they are is a damned soul fooled by their own lies. So we come this week and we're going to hit part two while we saw uh, the the importance of of abstaining from sexual immorality as sort of one of the main ways that sanctification needs to hit us. One of the most uh, fundamental or foundational parts of you as a human is your gender. And therefore, part of the, uh, one of the most fundamental ways of your behavior and activity and uh, one of the most fundamental desires you have in life is gender, sex, desires. And therefore, when we talk about being remade into Christ's image, one of the first things God addresses very openly, publicly, and directly is our sexual immorality that needs to be turned into sexual purity the abstaining from sexual immorality. Let it be no surprise that this is one of the first things to come up in the mind of the Apostle Paul, as it's one of the first sins that comes and destroys the pure walk of Christians. But I want to show you, number one, that sexual desires are controllable. I hope that that is a good news of hope to everyone who struggles with this. Sexual desires are controllable. Secondly, we'll see that sexual immorality betrays our brothers and sisters. Thirdly, we'll see motivations from God as to how and why to live in sexual morality. So, one of the uh, let's look here that sexual uh, uh, desires are controllable. I want to show you in verse 3 that he says uh, that the will of God is that you abstain from sexual immorality and that each one of you know how to control his body in holiness and honor. One of the two great lies, and we sort of covered this last week, one of the two, uh, two of the great lies given to God, God's uh, children, Christians, is one, that you will reach in this life perfection. That you will get to a point, now this, this is less common, but, but definitely it's out there and, and uh, well-meaning Christians sort of fall into this error, this stupid error of thinking it's possible. Well, some even think they've attained it, knowing that I am now free from sin, I'm in a state of perfection, God has finished that work, and while he's making me, me better, I, I'm, I'm free from sin. That, that doesn't happen to any Christian. Never happened to Paul. The only one who lived in that way was Christ. Uh, So, uh, we need to uh, disregard the lie that we will one day become perfect without going too far down the other way and giving in to the other lie which says, there are just some sins you do not have the power to overcome in this life. You just need to give up on some sins. Each person sort of has that thorn in the flesh and that's just going to be your thing. You'll never get rid of it until you die. That also is a lie from the pit of hell. The gospel brings better news than that. It brings better news. It says you are not just forgiven by God's grace. You are able to be transformed by his empowering grace through his Holy Spirit. And so when we look here, I want to to encourage you and show that you may 
you can, that spirit given to you, had a very impossible task when he was sent to help you overcome your sin. And yet it is not a more impossible task than when he was sent into the grave of Christ to resurrect a dead body. And yet he accomplished that. We have that same spirit among us, within us, empowering us. And so hear the good news of the law of God. Your desires, however strong they are, are controllable. God expects that you walk in a control of your body. Read with me here in verse 4. I'm going to show you two, uh, two alternate ways that this verse can actually be very fairly translated, and I'm not actually sure which one is the better reading. One of them will read, as the ESV says, if you're following along in that, you will read that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Now, a secondary reading, if you've got a good Bible, there'll be little uh, 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 notes down the bottom of your Bible. But the secondary reading could say uh, that each one of you know how to attain a wife in holiness and honor. Now, they sound pretty different, but let me explain. In, in the Greek, behind this, is that the word that says uh, control, that you should, uh, that each one of you know how to control your own body, two words which make this an alternate reading, is that the word control uh, more often means attain, you know, get your hands on, uh, attain for yourself. And then the, the word which comes in our translation as wife is actually the word for vessel which we, you know, you remember in 1 Peter chapter 3 that he calls the wife the, the physically weaker vessel and also that he refers to husbands as vessels. So, so um, uh, it, it seems some will take those words and say that it means, uh, it means attain a wife and others translate it to mean, no, it means get your own body. In other words, control your own body in holiness and honor. Now, I'm not sure which way this falls, but I think either way, they're so interrelated, those two ideas anyway, that I'm going I'm to take both and uh, give application for whether it's said either one. <clears throat> if what it's meaning, if what Paul is saying here is that to abstain from sexual immorality... Each one of you, you now he's referring primarily to the men, there is obviously application to women as well, but that each one of you attain, know how to attain a wife in holiness and honor. This is the most practical of advices as far as it comes in sexual immorality. This is a, a widespread end. This is the longest lasting piece of advice that you can ever give to somebody in the throes and in the struggles of sexual desires. Get a wife. Woman, get a husband. You will find great satisfaction in that relationship. And uh, all those things sort of tend to work themselves out in the marriage bed. Uh, but, but here also, this sort of reflects back to 1 Corinthians 7, uh, where in verse 7 through to 9 he says, but because, this is still Paul, he says, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, let each man, uh, so each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. And all the men said, if I have to, I'll give my wife her rights in the bed. And likewise, the wife to her husband. And again, loud amens. To the unmarried, here's what Paul says. To the unmarried, and that's a, that's a fair few of us. And to the widows, those who have lost husbands or widowers who have lost their wives. 
I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. That's Paul's encouragement. If possible, if at all, God's call on your life, remain single so that you might be all the more committed to the mission of Christ. But, he says, verse 9, but if they cannot exercise that self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So, so, so Paul's advice in the most practical way is uh, if, if you're a man, find yourself a wife. God, God made, a, made a good relationship pattern and design there. If you're a woman and you burn with lust, find yourself a husband in holiness and honor and be together. And that, 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 is, that is a very practical, good piece of advice. And, and a lot of people think, well, well, I'm not married. I burn with passion to, to be with a woman or a man. What do I do? Fulfill that good design in holiness and honor for the human race and take a wife or a husband. The power of this in sanctification is real. If you're to be married soon, if you are married, you need to see that the marriage bed is a, is a, is a, a tool or a weapon against your own sin and against your, own, uh, your, your, your spouse's sin. In Proverbs 5, and I, I recommend a full reading of Proverbs 5 tonight before you go to bed for everybody, especially, maybe, maybe this is one of your go-to texts if you are often struggling with sexual immorality and thoughts and lusts, go and read Proverbs 5. It is the wise advice from father and mother to a son encouraging him and exhorting him away from the foolish, destructive ways of adultery. But it says, as, as sort of an application at the latter half, in, in uh, verse 15 and then 18 and 19, the, the proverb sort of comes to, a, to an application in this way. He says, instead of going out and committing adultery, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. That's a bit cryptic. What, he's meaning, what, what, what they're meaning is the application, don't go and swim in other people's pools. Don't jump the fence and take some other guy's fountain. You get your own cistern. Get your own uh, jar of water. Get your own fountain. Get your own wife and enjoy her. Don't drink from another, but drink well and drink full from your own. And then he says, uh, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer and a graceful doe. And you can read the rest tonight. But, but this is, you need to see, if you're married or if you're unmarried and you're thinking of marriage, you need to see that the reason Hebrews 13 commands that we honor the marriage bed and that we have a high esteem of it is because it is two people fighting sexual immorality together and fulfilling that picture of marriage and the gospel together. So we hold that in high esteem. And let me say, to all married people, use that as a fight against the flesh. Help each other in that matter. Wives, help your husbands. Husbands, help your wives in holiness and honor. So we'll continue on. What if it's the other reading? What if it's not know how to get yourself a wife? And that's pretty good advice. Blokes, learn how to woo and win a woman. That's, that's Paul's advice. I like that. But what if it's the other way? What if it's uh, know how to control your own body? Well, that's, that's uh, very, a lot more easily said than done. I think we would agree. <clears throat> control your body. Have self-control. Well, thank you. Now, now, this applies to all anyway. Whether you are married or single, being married does not mean that any sexual activity that happens 
is holy and honorable. There must still be love, sacrifice, uh, no selfishness. It's still possible that, that it can be uh, your, your, your treatment or your activities or thoughts are violent or uncaring or impure or selfish. All of those must still come under the rule of controlling your body. If you are single though, for now or for good, whatever God's call is on your life, you must learn disciplined self-control. And again, I say it is a possibility. More so, it is an expectation on New Testament Christians. Let me read with you Galatians 5, verse 16. Galatians 5, verse 16. Paul says, But I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk in step with the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit's commands and by His strength, reliance on Him. And it is possible, in fact, it is a direct result that if you do that, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Don't, don't ever come to Scripture and say, no, I tried that. I tried really hard at that, still kept giving in to the desires of my flesh. No, God is true. We're the ones that need to correct our own view. If that's the case, if we are still giving in to the desires of the flesh, friends, there's something wrong with what we're defining as walking by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit means walking in the community of God, according to the Word of God, with dedication, submission to it. Uh, Which means, you put those together, community in word, be at church. Be in the community of fellowship, sitting under the preaching of the word. It means by faith and humility, trusting God in these ways. And it means using the word as your strength to slay your sin in moments of temptation. Be often in prayer. Be walking by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I hope that that stirs in you hope that there is, if you are caught in terrible sin, There is not just possibility. It is a command, but that that command should give you hope. God is telling you there is a version of your life. There is a path set out before you where you can actually, truly walk in purity. And together we can do so. So this means you're practical and end up making applications in your life to remove traps of temptation. Whether it's uh, having certain securities and restrictions on your social media or on your devices, that you are careful with what you do and don't do after certain times. Uh, Maybe it means that that, that you charge your phone in a different room overnight. Uh, Maybe it means that you have uh, very uh, strict conversations with your spouse about about boundaries and relationships in the workplace and with others. Uh, that you have very open conversations with your your spouse about your own temptations, that you might be fighting this together. Uh, Singles, it means uh, being frequently, and and for all of us, frequently in the the Word, and as we said, under the preaching of the Word. May I say this, and and I don't think it is any accident that Paul will will write about sexual purity right before he says in the following verses for next week, he talks about idleness and keeping busy. There is a very direct correlation. He who is often idle, 
just looking for something to do and, and, and having no, no job, no busyness, and I'm already getting into next week's sermon. It is him who has all this energy, all this opportunity, all this time to spend in sin. Be busy. Get a job, get friends around you, get out of the house, be busy, productive in your life, and you will have less opportunity for such folly. So, number one, it is possible, expected and demanded that you by the Spirit are walking in control of your sexual immorality, in control of your sexual desires, which are good godly gifts in the right setting. So let's move on. Let's, let's move into what he says then in verse 6. He commands that we would be uh, living in holiness and honor. He says here, verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner. I want to show you something, something that Paul is getting at here. Is, is maybe we wouldn't automatically go here in our consideration of this sin. Is that sexual immorality is betrayal against our brothers and sisters. I've got here 10 ways. No, I added one. 11 ways that sexual sin takes advantage or betrays others. I want to say, say this in, in two ways. <coughs> sexual sin is itself, both thought and action, it is itself taking advantage or betraying our brothers and sisters, but it also fuels and motivates the betrayal of our brothers and sisters more so. I want you to throw your mind to that terrible story in the Old Testament where David, King David, sees one of his best men, one of his best mates and most uh, 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 amazing uh, warriors in his army. He sees his wife bathing on a roof in Jerusalem. And he uses his power to get her to his bedchamber, sleeps with her, and on finding out that she is with child, he has his brother and friend murdered. After trying to trick him into sleeping with his wife when he would not have otherwise, he becomes a betrayer in the act, but then is motivated all the more and more and more to betray the whole nation and his brother, the whole army and Bathsheba because of the lure of sexual immorality. So it is itself betrayal and it fuels betrayal. Things that you would never think yourself able to do, you will do in the pursuit of sexual immorality if you allow your lusts their full energetic activity. <clears throat> so here, 11 ways that sexual sin takes advantage of our brothers and sisters. I'm just going to fly through these. Number one, lust of the eyes invades our brothers and sisters' privacy, which they have a right to. Number two, sexual thoughts degrade their dignity. Number three, sexual thoughts cheapen their value. As you think of others, you cheapen what they really are. You cheapen their value. Number four, sexual sin, both in acts and thoughts, ignores the image of God stamped on them, seeing them only as fleshly objects for your enjoyment. Number five, sexual sin depreciates their purity. You disregard their purity, depreciate it in your own mind and, and set for yourself a pattern of viewing them in that way. Number six, it betrays the trust of others, whether, whether it is betraying the trust of their spouse, if they're married, betraying the trust of your spouse, if you're married, and betrays the trust of them, 
if they are not, uh, not initially wanting for this to happen, maybe it's something you've snuck into, it's something that you're looking at or, or moves that you're making when they otherwise trust you to just be a, a friendly brother or sister, that flirtation, that's a betrayal of trust to them. Lastly, it's a betrayal of trust to your future spouse if you're yet unmarried or their future spouse. Their future spouse, whoever God has lined up for them to marry, deserves the most pure and encouraged version of them that they can be. And for you to take that, twist that, and use it for yourself is a betrayal of trust that we ought to have among the family of God. Number seven, sexual immorality preys on other people's weaknesses. Number eight, sexual sin ignores the reality of eternity of other souls. When you engage in in encouraging that person or tempting that person to sin, you disregard the fact that they may have eternity to pay if you are a cause to sin and stumbling away from that narrow way of Christ. Number nine, sexual sin in the body of Christ disregards the blood of Christ that bought that person. Number 10, it leavens the whole church. This is a continual theme in Paul. Let me digress here for a moment. That that if you are, no man is an island. No man or female in the body is an island all to yourself and on your own. We're organs in a body. We're members in a a household. We are are all uh, part of the great lump of bread that is is being produced. And one of the the, the Old Testament uh, symbols of that is that sin is like yeast, leaven. That when it's brought into the dough and, and the dough is kneaded through, it does not simply stay in that one little clump of bread and not spread. But leaven, yeast, it spreads throughout the whole lot and infects and affects everything. Your personal sexual sin committed alone on a Saturday night away from everyone else in the church is leavening the whole lump. Cut it out, lest God cut you out of the body. It leavens the whole lump. And number 11, sexual sin will motivate you, as we discussed before, will motivate you to sacrifice and betray your brothers and sisters for your own pleasure in ways you never thought you could have before. And David, the pure man after God's own heart, that man, David, is our example and warning in that. It motivates betrayal. So that, that I think, is what Paul is getting at when he says that let, us, that let that motivate us away from the folly of sexual immorality to the better and good way of life with Christ in purity. Let's go on. Because Paul does not stop there. He now gives motivations based on God now. No, not, not just based on our brothers and, 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 and the effects, but he, he looks at God. Read the, the last half of verse 6 as, as I go along there. It says, do not transgress and wrong your brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Friends, the highest reason that we ought to be holy in our bodies and in our church is because our God is holy which means that he is an avenger. He has wrath 
on its way for sin and sinners, and it is coming, it will strike and it will destroy and punish those living in iniquity. I want to read uh, with you verse um, chapter uh, 3 of Colossians. Chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, where Paul says a very similar thing. Chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, he says, Put to death, therefore. Put to death. Slaughter, kill, and murder, therefore. What is earthly or sinful in you? And what does he start with? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is on its way towards sexual sin and sexual sinners. So flee from that lifestyle, flee from that sin, or the wrath of God will overtake you. Now, now what Paul doesn't say, and what I will not do, is give a little caveat here and go, unless you're a Christian, because if you're a Christian, you don't get any wrath from God. It's not what Paul says. He says that if you're a Christian, then you aren't doing these things. He says that those who are doing these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying, if you are living in sin, consider yourself a sinner outside of Christ. Until God, by His Spirit, brings repentance of lifestyle, do not make excuses for yourself. Everyone going to hell has an excuse as to why they think they'll escape the wrath of God. And many people sit nicely, safely, comfortably in church pews telling themselves they've got the grace of God, but we make for ourselves an enormous disaster thinking, I'm in the grace of God, if we are not in the holiness of God. The wrath is coming for those sins and sinners doing them. If you find yourself there, flee while there is grace, flee while the offer is still open, Flee while God, though coming in vengeance, still offers His grace for repentance, faith, salvation, and greater sanctification. That is to every one of us a great and grand motivator. Uh, In Proverbs 5, uh, again, we see that there is discipline and punishment, whether we call ourselves uh, uh, children of God or not. God sends consequences for sin. Verse 21 of chapter 5 of Proverbs, remember at the end of all this exhortation to not commit adultery, it says, because a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all of his paths. The iniquities of the wicked will ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. How many young, young or, or even older Christians will say, try and say, well, <laughs> we're not married. But I'll tell you, we're married in the sight of God. In God's eyes, he smiles on us. He knows our heart. He knows that we're going to be married someday. Just this last Friday, evangelizing in the city with some of the crew here from church, a, a young man tried to tell me the same thing. The Lord knows I would marry her, so it's okay that I don't marry her and take her as my own. Friends, the eyes of the Lord, in God's eyes, you're not married. 
in God's eyes, he's pondering your way and lining up destruction. God's eyes are red with fury, not acceptance and excuse. It needs to sit heavy or we make excuses for ourselves. A, a destructive habit that Paul leaves no room for the Thessalonians. The Lord is an avenger in all these things. Makes a lot of sense as to why he solemnly warned them and told them beforehand continuously telling them, flee from sin, don't make an excuse for yourself, God's wrath comes for sin and sinners. <clears throat> so let's, uh, let's keep going. Number one, because we have a holy God, we should be living in holiness. But he says also, because you have friends, you have a holy calling. You have a holy calling. He says in verse 7, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Do not think that, that holiness and especially sexual purity is kind of like a, like a hat on an outfit. It, it sort of finishes it off well. It, it looks good, but, but it's not really necessary. Uh, 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 that, that holiness is kind of like, sexual holiness is kind of like the, uh, uh, the sword for those, uh, those soldiers that stand outside of Buckingham Palace and sort of stand there in all their costume. It looks good sort of finishes the costume, but if they did or didn't have it, it doesn't really matter because they're not actually fighting a war. No, sexual holiness, sexual purity in holiness is not just some, some add-on to the Christian life. What Paul says is that it is part and parcel of the whole calling of God on your life as a Christian. Holiness is the spirit in which you were called. Go with me to Romans 8. Great chapter, Romans 8, and we're going to look at verse 29. <clears throat> Romans 8, verse 29. And it reads like this. It says, For those whom he foreknew, that is, that is God, whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Now we give a yes and an amen to that. We tell ourselves, well, if I was foreknown and elected, loved before the time by God, I was predestined to salvation. Yet look at what Paul says. He doesn't just say that you are predestined for salvation. He defines it closer. He says, those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. What you were predestined for before the foundations of the world and that the spirit in which you were called was for holiness. Let's finish here. He says, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You were called not just to be forgiven. You were called to be done away with with your old life, forgiven in Christ so that you might become like Jesus, and therefore Jesus becomes an older brother of a whole bunch of younger brothers and sisters that look just like him in holiness. The whole realm of your salvation is holy. From the very beginning, in election before the world, you were foreknown to be like Christ. You were called to be like Christ, not in impurity, but for holiness. We... There, there is no greater folly than to think I've stepped in to God's grace and, and I have a holy eternity coming if we think I can escape the holy life now. 
It was in God's mind to make us holy then, holy in the future. There is not this little caveat where we do as we please in this life until holiness picks up again. This whole calling is for and in holiness. And, and then we can see what he says in verse 8. The Lord is holy. Your calling is holy. And verse 8, you were given the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 says, Therefore, since God is calling this, He's writing this, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. We all know John 3.16. That God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Well, I wonder if you are aware of what happened when Christ in His glory ascended to the throne, He sent down His Spirit. We can say that for God and His Son so loved the world that they gave their only Spirit so that all who would receive Him will not walk in sin but have eternal holy lives. You were given the Son for your purchase, your redemption, His blood shed in your place, His life given in place of yours, so that on His righteousness before God, on His acceptance, you're received. You're accepted in Him. Your punishment, every bit of it, laid on His shoulders. He was taken to the cross with your sin to die. And that's not all. In His resurrection and ascension, you were not left without God. For God gave all that He had. In giving His Son, He he gave His one and only Son. And in taking Him back to heaven, He gives us the Holy Spirit as a deposit, an assurance for what is to come. God gave you His Holy Spirit that you might be made holy. Again, I want to go to Romans chapter 8. And read verse 11. This is what was referred to just before. Romans 8 verse 11 says this. That if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, who is He who raised Jesus from the dead? Well, it's the Father. So, if the Spirit of the Father dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Do you feel weak in the the task? Do you feel discouraged in your ability to produce life and holiness in terms of your sexual purity in life? That's good. That means you're in just the right place. Jesus' physical body should have felt physically unable and completely powerless uh, to, to go around walking in this glorified Christ state. What it needed was the life of God transmitted into that body for glory and raising by the Holy Spirit. And so you, if you are weak, you are in just the right position for the Holy Spirit to come and do the same miracle. Bring you from death to life. From living in that grave to living a new life in holiness and glory and honor, as Paul has said. The Holy Spirit was given to you. And he says that to reject this command is to be rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit. 
We can't say, I have the Holy Spirit. I've received God's grace. But sexual purity, I do my own thing. To do that is to show a rejection of God, a rejection of His grace, a rejection of His Spirit, and a rejection of His Son. It will not be forgiven. But, but the good news is, and what motivates this holiness more than anything else, is the fact that your own performance is not the grounds of your acceptance. You are not, friends, remove the idea that you're this filthy, stained uh, sinner and, and by each act of purity, you sort of scrub off some of your sexual immorality. You sort of scrub off some of that impurity off of you. And bit by bit, you become more and more holy and blameless and beautiful in the sight of God. Until one day, you'll be this, this, this blameless, pure, virgin bride. And then you'll be worthy to come into heaven and gifted to God's own Son. Friends, the reality is that you and I are in and of ourselves filthy, wretched, and impure. But we are not made, made pure in God's sight in progression. We were made in an instant by faith. We were made before God, blameless, holy, imperishable, beautiful, virgin bride, ready for Christ on His wedding day. We have, by faith, passed into salvation won by Christ, and we stand before God pure and holy. That is your situated, perfect holiness in heaven. And now we live in order to reflect in our lives what is true before the Father. We walk in a manner worthy of that calling we've received to holiness. We live in a way to reflect that uh, glorious gospel given to us in Jesus Christ. This is important for us. This is necessary for us to uh, walk in, keep ourselves disciplined for, and friends, keep one another accountable in, lest the wrath of God come and we find ourselves outside of His grace. I'm going to pray over us for this very thing to be true and for the salvation of souls in our midst. Let's pray. Father God, our, our own selves read uh, your, your high and holy commandments and uh, we are made to recognize how far we fall short, that your standards are glorious, infinite, and we fall so far short of those, God, as to dishonor you. E even now that we have become Christians, we, we cannot fulfill all of those commands so that, so that our conscience, based on our own good works, leaves us satisfied. And yet, God, we, we, we simply receive what Paul as an apostle has said to us. And we receive it as the words of God, not of man. That you say it is possible to walk in holiness. God, we thank you for your grace that every day, that even this past week, even today, there is need for your grace because of our sin. There is need for your, your forgiveness because of our failings. But Lord, we thank you that you promised not just grace to forgive, but grace to empower. Thank you for that, God. How bad, uh, what bad news it is to think that we would be left up to our own power. But thanks be to him who, who delivers us from this body of death. Lord, please, I, I pray over, over the young people in our church that you would secure in their minds a, a love of holiness, a love of dedication to Christ, and a love of purity 
that they would know what it is to walk in the paths set out for them by your word. God, would you give that to them? A love of it and then an actual walking in it. God, I pray for those who are nearing marriage in our, in our, uh, in our congregation, that you would keep them in holiness and, and to honor the marriage bed in the future by remaining pure, strong, and, and uh, uh, holy in the present day. God, give them the gospel assurance and encouragement that they need to see that through. And God, for all those who have failed in the past in these areas, for all those who, have, who are currently failing and living in a pattern of sin, give to them repentance, God. They cannot do it themselves. We are weak and helpless in and of ourselves. God, please give them that power. Give them that, that spirit-energized life to raise up out of the grave of sin and walk in holiness and beauty and joy in Jesus Christ. Save souls who hear this, God. Let them know that their shame can be taken, their failures can be forgotten, and life in Christ can be given to them. We thank you for your grace, God, for your abounding, overflowing grace to us. And everybody who knows the grace of God said, Amen. This sermon was preached at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Logan, Australia. For more information about our church, visit our website at hoperb.church. If you have been blessed, please leave us a review wherever you listen. We pray this message has been used by God to grow and encourage you in your Christian walk. Thank you for listening. Soli Deo Gloria.